0: Let us think of what we can do for us and our descendants to
1: survive. 1.5
2: to stay alive! 1.5 to stay alive!
3: Far more needs to be done to keep global warming in check.
4: Scientific evidence remains inconclusive as to whether human activities affect the global climate.
2: We as a must
0: a radical revolution of values.
1: The time has come, the walrus said. Perhaps things will become worse and then better. Perhaps there's a small god up in heaven readying herself for us. Another world is not only possible, she's on her way maybe many of us won't be here to greet her but on a quiet day if i listen very carefully i can hear her breathing
5: um, my name is Alex Wong at you she her um, Yeah, I'm here because I think that the movement uh, is really white And I like we need to do something about it, and I'm not really sure what that is But uh, I know we need to stop it and not let it be rerouted and so if we don't um, Have like a huge student presence that's working for intersectionality They're gonna keep on making chants that are like, you know ba- like I don't know appropriating and um yeah, I don't know. I'd really like to see a lot more Oberlin um, students working towards climate justice and talking about like how we can have an analysis that incorporates all systems of oppression under climate justice. Um, because really, like this is the, one of the biggest things we're facing, and it like is powered by racism and patriarchy and. Like genocide and colonialism, and we're all like fighting towards the same thing, so why don't we just like collectively organize under this? Um, and like, I don't know, I think people here need to understand that this is bigger than just kicking something out of their backyards, and I want to bring that to this space.
3: And gonna
6: off with the big boo you wanna talk about? That was Alex Shuang, an Oberlin student activist attending a protest on Saturday against the Nexus pipeline in Medina where residents face not only the pipeline but also a compressor station. The action was in response to FERC's release of its environmental impact statement one of the last hoops for the Nexus project to jump before it can begin construction. It should be known that FERC has very rarely rejected a pipeline proposal. Here are some of the voices from that protest Saturday.
2: What do we want for Christmas? No more Nexus! What do we want for Christmas? No more Nexus! What do we want for Christmas? No more Nexus! What do we want for Christmas? No! No.
4: My name is Baji Panchumardi and I have been uh, involved with uh, the pipeline issue, probably not right from the beginning, but when I became aware of it, I kind of thought uh, it was terrible that uh, they were going to use eminent domain for uh, private companies' uh, profits, and uh, felt that the people's voices were not being heard.
6: And uh, what concerns you most about the pipeline?
4: What concerns me most is the fact that the energy companies have managed to purchase both sides of the aisle so they have the democratic politicians the republican politicians everybody's taken money from them and nobody's actually willing to listen to the people anymore it's like our voices don't matter they're all sitting in this soundproof chamber and making the laws that affect us we're all standing outside and banging on the windows but nobody's hearing us And what would you say um,
6: to people in Medina who don't want the pipeline but they don't know where to go or what to do?
4: Well, the people of Medina actually um, signed a petition to put the issue on the ballot because they all wanted to come together and make a decision on it for the county, but uh, the uh, Ohio Secretary of State, John Husted, uh, refused to let us have it on the ballot by making some flimsy uh, excuse about the fact that the charter amendment did not have some explanation of all the duties of all the different positions and he kind of managed to push us off the ballot so the volunteers of sustainable madonna county collected i want to say something in the neighborhood of six seven eight thousand signatures people put in hundreds if not thousands of hours together to get the signatures necessary and then our voices were just silenced
6: all right, anything else you want to say
4: I'm very encouraged by the fact that Waterville Township passed the uh, charter amendment to not have nexus on their land. Uh, The city of Bowling Green did the same thing. Uh, So we're having these small victories at different points of this pipeline, and I hope that uh, that spreads and more and more uh, townships come together and that uh, the pipeline is uh, uh, denied
7: from Overland. Um so basically the sign says oops Ferk you forgot to consider the environment in your EIS so the EIS is the environmental impact statement
6: A 250 page document
7: <laughs> yeah I think it was more than that it was many pages um, and basically they came up with the brilliant conclusion that um, there may be some problems but of course they will be monitoring things along the way so not to worry it's going to be fine
6: and you disagree.
7: I disagree. Yeah, And really, they don't even consider the broader environmental implications of fracking, moving fracked gas along pipelines. I mean, even if this pipeline manages to hold together, um, there's leakage along the way. There's incredible toxicity all along the way. And they did not consider that. And global warming, climate change, they didn't consider that either. Oops. Oops.
6: And um, what would you say to Overland residents who are concerned about the pipeline but feel like there's nothing left to do to stop it? Uh,
7: well, now's the time to uh, not think that because this is an important window. Um, there's a 90-day window between Uh, the release of the EIS and the Commissioner's final decision on whether to grant a permit. A permit, by the way, for public convenience and necessity. That's what this pipeline is supposedly about. And uh, I disagree with that. We disagree with that. We being um, the group from Oberlin, CSSE, Communities for Safe and Sustainable Energy, strongly disagrees with that.
3: Rev. Dr. Sharon Kiesel from Montville Township, which is a township outside of Medina, Ohio. And I am here to protest the Nexus Pipeline and anything connected to it. And the reason is I am uh, a survivor of an environmental illness and know what it's like to lose the ability to drink, to breathe clean air and drink clean water and to be really sickened by the environment. And I don't want anyone to go through that, to have to suffer. And I feel that the Nexus Pipeline is part of a whole fracking infrastructure that is harmful to people's health and also um, unsafe, very unsafe.
6: And uh, you said you're a pastor, can you talk about what role faith communities can play in this movement against Nexus?
3: Well, this issue is, once you get yourself educated, uh, it's clearly a moral issue and a social justice issue because people are being harmed by this industry. Uh, The state has given eminent domain and taken away people's property rights. The uh, industry has taken away people's rights to clean air, clean water, clean every and uh, faith communities need to call it what it is it's a moral issue and it's harmful and that's why I'm here.
6: Anything
3: else you want to add? Bye. Oh, there's so much. I, I think um, there's many shocking um, things that you learn as you get educated. I think the most important thing is to get on the Internet and start reading about compressor stations, pipeline explosions, wastewater, fracking wastewater especially, uh, and injection wells. Just uh, Google those, those um, subjects, and you will get an earful and also look at YouTube videos that are made by the victims and you will see the suffering and you will become as horrified as I am.
8: Hi my name is Debbie Redhorse, and this is my son Alex White Eyes. We recently moved here from Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota to Ohio and we've been supporting the North Dakota access pipeline up there and helping friends and family that are up there in the freezing cold and we decided to check out this pipeline when I came up on Facebook. So we wanted to come out today and support anything we could to bring awareness to the community so that people understand the kind of toxins these pipelines let off and to try and stop this pipeline in a peaceful way and through prayer. And we hope that uh, more awareness comes about just by being out here, standing out here. Mm. That more people know every week. So that by the time the spring comes, there will be enough protesting against it that we can stop it.
6: Mm. And what do you think that the anti- Nexus movement can learn from all of the indigenous leadership that's been happening against the Dakota Access Pipeline?
8: Well, I think what they, they have shown the world is that they came together as one race which is humanity and they have taught us that we can protest in a peaceful way and let our voices be heard in a peaceful way to actually make a difference and to stop government from putting in more pipelines and allowing these these permits to be issued through the Army Corps of Engineers. And I don't think that the people are aware that they have to do environmental impact studies. And they failed to do so in that pipeline up there thoroughly, and now that's what they're asking for. So we just have to become aware and educate ourselves as to the dangers that these pipelines are causing to everybody.
1: And
2: Shut this pipeline down. I hear the voice of my great granddaughter saying, "Time make justice now." People gonna rise like the water. Gonna shut this pipeline down. I hear the voice of, of my great, great granddaughter
6: saying, "Time make justice now."
2: People gonna rise like the water. now. I hear, the, I hear the voice of, of my great grand granddaughter. Saying,
6: People can check out sustainablemedinacounty.org for updates on Medina's fight for community rights. rights OHcommunityrights.org is where you can go to learn more about the statewide statewide community rights movement. And for information on the Nexus Pipeline, I'd have to say nopipelines.org is my favorite resource. The next segment should have been coming from a film project that Sophia Smith-Hale is working on around the community rights movement in Youngstown, Ohio, around the issues of extractive industries, water, political division. Uh, however, my computer has been a total mess in the past couple of days, so we're not going to play the interviews from that project, um, which is really unfortunate because it's very powerful stuff. But I will play some of Sophia's recording talking about the project as well as a sermon by Reverend Monica Beasley Martin, uh, a Youngstown resident and member of Defenders of the Earth Outreach Mission and an ally of Frag Free Mahoning Valley.
9: My name's Sophia Smith Hale, and I'm a student at Oberlin College. So I really, I started this project out of a desire to to combine my interest for arts and, and filmmaking with something I I really care about, which is um, you know issues of environmental injustice and. Um, Communities fighting for their right to self-determination and to have access to the most basic resources—air and water, clean air and water—and um, so where to start? <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of information to convey. Um, so I started. The project with the idea that I would focus kind of in on on the lives of three different characters, Um, and as I saw it, I I visualized kind of the community in Youngstown in three different ways around this issue of of water and community rights, and that was the people such as john and maria who are who are some friends of mine who are you know actively involved in the community bill of rights movement and have been for for <clears throat> you know five years now over five years and they're the, the real you know steadfast organizers and and they've gotten organizing, gotten enough signatures to put this Community Bill of Rights on the ballot six times now in a row, which is a huge, a huge deal when you really realize how much work it takes to do that and how strong the opposition is in Youngstown. Um, And just for some background, the Community Bill of Rights movement is not just in Youngstown; it's part of a national, um, a national movement to really assert the rights of community members and the environment and ecosystems, and the right for community members to decide what goes on in their community and to say, you know what? No, I don't want this extractive industry. Um, you know, building a pipeline under my house or um, injecting toxic residual waste into a well that's near my drinking water source. So it's really a pretty radical piece of legislation that if passed, um, you know, changes the, the... the power dynamic in terms of who gets to decide.
0: returning to Judea was dangerous. The love that Jesus had for this family far surpassed any safety concerns. He also understood that since he was walking in the light by doing the right thing, everything was gonna be all right. Jesus felt compelled to go in order to complete the task of waking Lazarus up. We are gathered here today because we are already awake and have decided not to sit idly by while our rivers, lands, and our people are destroyed by greedy and corrupt individuals and companies. We too are walking in the light and doing the right thing by taking a stance against those still consumed by the darkness. And so we are issuing a clarion call to our leaders that it is them to wake up as well. You were elected to serve the people, not corporations. Those who choose to remain sleep, sleep on. But don't be surprised when your position ends up being in the hands of someone who is awake. While it can be dangerous to speak out, Abraham Lincoln, Mahatma Gandhi, JFK, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, to name just a few, were all assassinated. Yet their dreams, their vision, their works, their passion live on even today. And so we serve notice on those who would plot against us, attempt to destroy our credibility, or dismiss us in hopes that we would just simply go away. our rivers, our streams, our land, our animals, and humankind far too much to ever give up or shut up. Jesus, our example, did not give up just because it was dangerous. He did not even give up after Martha basically dismissed his quest as impossible because Lazarus' body had already been in the grave so long that it stuck. He knew that resurrection time still was coming. He who was dead would soon live again. Hydraulic fracturing has had a deadly impact upon the Mahoning River, Youngstown, Ohio, America, and Mother Earth. Some have suggested that the damage done is too great. The gas and oil industry too powerful and therefore there is nothing that can be done. To the contrary, I contend, through our collective voices of protest, that the time draws near for everything to be awakened and resurrected. Wake up, Mahoning River! Resurrection time is coming! Wake up! Resurrection time is coming. Wake up, Ohio! Resurrection time is coming! Wake up, nation! Resurrection time is coming! Wake up, world!
2: Resurrection time is coming! We shall we shall not, we shall shall not be moved. Be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved just like the tree planted by the river. We shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved moved just like the tree planted by the river.
9: We shall not be fooled. there has to be some ability to to look past these divisions and recognize that you are ultimately fighting for the same thing and to be willing to unify in that fight and and it's only by unifying that that you're going to be able to gain strength. So I think, and this is still a process, obviously, um, an evolving process. But I think maybe one of the ultimate goals of this film is to is to help in that unification and um, you know creating a stronger. Movement. And I'm not sure what that movement looks like yet or, or how it will ever happen with such a stark divide in this city. But I think that the movement is ultimately around the fight for a dignified life. And that's something that a lot of people could get behind, I think.
6: That was Sophia Smith-Hale talking about her film project on fracking water and the fight for a dignified life in Youngstown, Ohio, as well as a sermon by Reverend Monica Beasley Martin in 2013 in response to at least 40,000 gallons of frack fluid and oil intentionally dumped into the Mahoning River. I Try it with your friends
10: New world water makes the tide rise high Come inland and make your house go by Fools done upset the old man river. Made him carry slave ships and fed him dead niggas. Now it's belly full and he about to flood something. So I'm throwing rope that ain't tied to nothing. Tell your crew, use the H2 and wise amounts. It's the new world water and every drop counts. You can laugh and take it as a joke if you wanna. But it don't rain a full week some summers. And it's about to get real wild in the half. You be lying every yard. Head just acting wild, sipping, more, pump pumping, dank. Competing with the next man for higher playing rank. So now I ain't got time try to beat. Need 20 year water time. Cause while these knuckleheads oh, is out, here sweating They guts, the sun is sitting in the treetops Burning the woods, and as the flame from the blaze Get higher and higher, they say don't drink the water We need it for the fire New York is drinking it, no, no All of California is drinking it, no Way well, up north and down south is drinking it, no, no Used to have minerals is zinc in it, no Now they say it got and stinking it, throw and monoxide push the water table lopsided used
1: to be free now of course you will feed cause all things fill their they roll across the sea man you
10: gotta cook with it and clean with that's it right. when it's hot summertime you feed for that it, it. No. you gotta put it in the iron you steaming with that's what right. so they dress wounds and treat diseases Shout with it out. the rich and poor black and white got need for that's it right. and everybody in the world can agree with that's this enough. consumption promotes health and easiness that's go right. too long without it on this earth and you leaving Shout it out. Americans wasting it on some other nation be desperate Seeking Bacteria washing up on their beaches Say Don't drink the water so they can't wash their feet with Not it enough. Young babies in perpetual needy Epidemics words. hopping up up the Petri Not dish enough. Control center shot to play all secret To word. avoid public panic and freaky There are know. places where TB is common as TV Cause foreign based company is gonna get greedy The type of cats who pollute the whole shoreline Having purified and selling for $1.25 Now the world is drinking uh, that new Your mom's wife and baby girl is drinking uh, that new Up north and down south no, is drinking it new world you just have to go to your sink for it No the cash registers is going, world, going to chink for world, it new world carbon's a monoxide got the fish looking cockeyed used to be free now of course you will feed cause it's all about getting that cat money said it's all about getting that cat money so it said it's all about getting that money said it's all about getting that cat <exclude> <bluntly> <scalpel nicely> money it said it's all about getting that <ceptionk> cat money it's all about getting that money said it's all about getting that Morning, get all yeah, I like, get it all I all about getting get it Johnny Cash. money, get Cash. money, I like, get it all Cash. like, get Cash. all I cash. get it me cat. Yeah,
6: The last part of today's show, uh, the last show this semester of Climate Justice Radio, is an interview with Professor Willis Okecho-Yugi, environmental history professor at Oberlin, speaking on such topics as environmentalism of the poor, power dynamics in the international climate regime, and slow violence. Uh, Slow violence is what Rob Nixon defines as, quote, a violence that occurs gradually and out of sight. A violence of delayed destruction that is dispersed across time and space, a nutritional violence that is typically not viewed as violence at all. So here's Professor Oyugi. Uh,
11: my name is Willis So I teach, I'm an assistant professor here at Oberlin College. This is my third year. I teach African history, environmental history. Um, and my main focus, uh, my main research interests are colonial history also indigenous notions, indigenous knowledge on um, uh, environmental issues. But really, at the core of my research is looking at power dynamics. How is it that uh, different uh, groups of people, how is it that um, people, uh, how is it that we look at uh, in the environment and resources, and how is it that different, that power defines how we utilize environmental resources. Um, and sharing resources, so whether it's at a local level, national level, or even international level, so that's really how my research is. Although I focus on wildlife conservation, but I've taken that into a global realm and looked at other different issues, including water. I'm uh, um, right now, like I mentioned, just teaching a course on food, uh, food insecurity, and seeing how that. Um, uh, looking at the question of food insecurity in Africa from a historical perspective.
6: And um, I took a class with you last year called Environmentalism of the Poor Mm -hmm. um, and Water. And that was not a phrase that I had heard before. Maybe you could kind of explain um, what that term means and the thought behind the class um, and kind of the implications for those who understand Environmentalism, more from the global north perspective.
11: Okay, so envir- environmentalism is a theme, and environmentalism of a poor uh, as a theme in environmental history because that's um, um, essentially was. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I do deal with power dynamics. So within historiography, within the scholarship of environmental history as subfield, um, some Scholars were arguing that if you look at environmentalism itself, much of our historiography, much of our scholarship was dominated in the West, mm. the global north, so to speak. But also, if you take into account the question of who is it in society who normally are attributed with thinking or championing for environmental movements or caring about the environment that oftentimes there's an issue of class that comes into play, right? The question of class, whether it's with conservation of wildlife. And I'll give you an example. National Park movement history in the U.S., uh, that oftentimes um, you look at the middle class and, the, you know, in, in the U.S., it was oftentimes the middle class and the upper class that championed for the National Park movement. And even in the U.S. that people might not think about, there were tensions with regard to setting aside lands for forest conservation or national parks movement. The the idea, the broad idea was set it aside for for the public good. Uh, But those who championed this were sometimes people from the East, uh, but they they would go to areas where those who said, well, the rules and regulations that you're bringing would curtail some of our, the way we've accessed, national, we've accessed these lands to them. Uh, some laws would be that there would be no hunting. You know, some, some laws that they brought. Some of these people thought would be very uh, discriminatory, or also be very uh, not just discriminatory, but also would pretty much be against their livelihood. If they were hunting for a living, that would be one way that they would say these laws are, uh, are discriminatory. But you might think about those who are saying. Well, they're, they're, if they're giving an aesthetic rationale for national park. Now, moving to the 1960s and the environmental movement, uh, people saving whales, people wanting to save uh, uh, panda bears or whatever, or even now tigers and elephants, mm-hmm. there's a accusation that has often been made that those who care about those who care about saving a tiger or an elephant, you don't care about you, Are those who really you, once you have once you know once you don't have to care about where your next meal will come from
1: mm-hmm.
11: you can think about saving whales you can think about saving an elephant or a tiger so there's this again it becomes more of a class issue that oftentimes uh, and and this they are pointing to say for example the Sierra Club that was say at the forefront of saving and um, for example and the like again there's a uh, uh, an undercurrent of class um, issues here. You can also go into the debate on on race. But really an undercurrent of class, the fact that you only think about saving the environment if you're comfortable. Hmm. But also, so the counter-narrative scholars who made this claim was that you're also saying that those who access these resources, the poor, quote-unquote, don't care about the environment. The ones you're saving, the ones when you're saving this forest from the poor accessing these resources, you're saving these resources because you're saving. You're saying those who utilize these resources are misusing, are mismanaging them. Because this was the argument that was oftentimes labeled against um, peasant farmers in, in, in India, for example, so this is all in South America where this narrative, where this scholarship kind of came about. So environmental poor was essentially a counter-narrative to movements such as the uh, the Sierra Club by saying the poor do care about the environment just as much as those in the upper class. Mm -hmm. But they also, this is their source of living. They have interest of taking care of the environment. Mm -hmm. So you cannot say they don't. So this was their way of saying they do. But really it was also pointing to how those who, uh, it was also one way of saying, those who actually suffer most with regard to environment, the environment are the marginalized. Because when you have some of these laws that are kind of push them away, conservation laws, they are the ones who suffer most when you all of a sudden say they can't utilize some of these resources, they don't have access to forestry setups. So. It's in the interest of all if you incorporate them as well. Mm. They've always cared cared about the empowerment. There's ways of looking into it. Mm. So a lot of it was to also point to the marginalization of certain groups of people, women, the poor, social economics as well came into play. But this is how that argument developed. Now it it has sort of molded. um, uh, But also, uh, you mentioned slow slow violence. so, slow, slow violence uh, that I t- attached to the cause itself and water. Um, Rob Nixon, who looks at slow violence, was looking at slow violence as a way of us thinking about, and he uses the narrative. It's, um, it's easy for us to think about war, because he uses an analogy of war. Mm. When you think about war, Vietnam War or the Iraq War, we can relate to the we can relate easily to the casualties of war from the bombing or anything. In environmental ecological terms, he was making the case that we oftentimes forget that that the casualties of war continue decades later from those who say, for example, are unable to farm certain regions because of all the pollution. And he was giving the example of what you you can look at the case of Um, or or the fact that we forget all of a sudden that war never ends once you pull out the troops. What is the ecological impacts Mm. of all the bombings that happened in Vietnam? So let's use Mm. Vietnam as an example. And I think recently, was it just recently that Obama went to, was it Vietnam? Mm. And they were still talking about all the mines that still have to be cleared. Mm. So if you think about the slow violence what is it, 40, 50 years after Vietnam, for 40 years, 50, mm. there are people who are still suffering from the if impacts. So this is the ecological impacts, mm. the slow violence. People may have forgotten about the casualties of war, but there are people who are still paying the price. Mm. Ecologically, for, for example, all, the, all that has gone. So this is kind of his way of tying the violence of war but over a long time, ecologically, what that has is, is one one way that he was trying to tie that to to that. Now, when I brought it to water, I was also looking at how is it that using that theme of the poor, of the marginalized, paying a higher price, when they privatize water due to neoliberal policies, I was also trying to show how those who can least afford water are the ones who end up paying more buy, health, you know their health. Mm. If you can least afford water, you're probably getting water that is compromised hygienically. Uh, b- uh, your y- chances of you actually getting hygiene um, um, portable water are less if you mm. can't uh, buy. If you don't have a portable water, piped water into your into your house. Uh, so if you're just using the what we call cans I don't know what they call them in the U.S. Uh, if you have to buy water. First of all, it's more expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Most studies support that. But also, your general hygiene is compromised. So you're susceptible to health issues. But also, if you think about water and sewerage, water and sanitation go together. So it was that ecological health as well is compromised Mm -hmm. of those who can list up for this. Mm -hmm. And so this is what government policies are done, which compromise the ecological health and the general health of those who could least afford. So again, I'm tying this to them paying the heavier price. Mm. So these are the vulnerable in society as well. Mm. I know it's been a long time to go tying it from what theoretically it was, but also to real life situations where we see how those who can least afford water and end up paying uh, and, uh, the price in, with their health, but also the ecological health of the areas they live with, which are very, very uh, you find that these areas you get constant sewage busts. Or mm. It's like basically, ecologically, these are areas that uh, um, uh, people living in informal settlements, uh, they don't have running water, they don't have uh, poor proper sewage, if they have sewage at all, sewage, sewage, a, a sanitation system at all. Mm. So this is how I try to tie that to as well, mm. and then saying that in the process, these people end up paying for it um, mm. with their health as well.
6: And how would you... See the concept of slow violence applying to climate change in terms of um, kind of long lasting, steady fatalities and violence that may not earn the attention so much of like the Western world, for instance.
11: Well, I mean, it's already happening. It's just that most people don't realize this. I think in places, and I'm familiar with uh, African history, environmental history, there are some areas in Senegal, I think, or in West Africa where, I don't know if you're familiar with the term uh, climate refugees, Hmm. climate change. So there are people who live in areas that the sea level rise for them has arrived. And they can't survive. They can't farm in those areas. If they used to be farmers, so serious, either um, the salinity of their region, uh, you know, if 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 the ocean ra- uh, sea level rise has impacted the area they used to farm in or farm on before, they're not able to do that. They've essentially become climate change refugees. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are people who already have faced that, so they have to move. Um, to different areas, they've become displaced. So there are those. So that's one way of looking at it from a slow violence mm. perspective. But there, for those who it's real, it's already happened. Mm. Uh, it's happened in some places in Western Africa, the coastal parts of Senegal. I'm familiar with that? There's some scholarship to support that. I know that there are some areas in the Pacific Islands that are also um, are facing such dire situations mm. so there is yes so Slav violence is so I think in the u.s while they talk about this the frequency and the veracity of uh, hurricanes and sometimes it's hard for uh, it's hard for them to grasp that this may or may not be connected to climate change global warming there are climate change refugees in other parts of the world mm. that all they need to do is find some scholarship that supports that or real evidence, and it's there. Mm. So there's climate change refugees out there. Mm. So there are people who have already been.
6: I was wondering what your thoughts are on what's been happening over the course of this year um, in Standing Rock uh, with the water water protectors um, in North Dakota.
11: I mean, I've you have on that? Yes, I've looked at it, I've been reading it, but since it's not my, my area of... Um, I mean, I don't look at... Um, I, I read it because one thing that I try to do is uh, broaden my knowledge and look at it in comparative. But I can see similar... Um, it goes back to the one of the main points that I make, is that there's vested interest. Earlier on, and uh, I made the case that policy that regardless of we can, you know, so this, it in ties into environments of the poor. So if we look at class, why is it that the people on, uh, and we're talking about uh, North Dakota, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? So why is it that they decided that this is the area that this pipe had to go on? But also why is it that energy and oil is seen to be more um, you know, should there's water on the one hand, we say water is life. And we have oil and energy and the other mm. which is seen to be life for some other people, mm. life for everyone. This is everything all about jobs, jobs. So so we have this equation on one side. Think about think about the arguments that are made on the one hand. Why is it that they say this pipeline has to go through? Oh, for the economy, for jobs. They don't talk about the profits that whoever is in charge of that pipeline. They, the reason it has to go through there, they're cutting costs. Mm. If they were asked, why can't they reroute it, they're really saying, I mean, th- if they give an honest answer, it would be costs, mm. just profits, goes mm. back to when I mentioned the Pope's encyclical, he says capitalism, the biggest issue with capitalism is it's profit driven to the point that they don't care about at what cost to humanity. But yet we have the Americans, American Indians here. Is that the correct term? Mm-hmm. You're right, and they're saying, "Well, what happens if they pollute our water?" But we say water is life. Look at what happened to Flint, Michigan. So you have on the one hand some the energy corporation that is making the case that this is all about jobs. We want jobs in America. We want jobs in America, and I think. We are all blinded by this idea that it's all about jobs, jobs, jobs. How many jobs are they creating? A million jobs? Mm. No. Somebody is thinking of billions in their bank accounts, in my opinion.
1: Mm.
11: They're not caring about what happens in the eventuality of uh, 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 in the eventuality of uh, what is it? Uh, what happens if the pipe bursts, right? In mm. the event of a leak, what's the environmental costs? Mm. What happened when BP, the oil spill in BP happened? there are people who are still paying for that. Mm. That's a sense, a case of slow violence. Mm. Livelihoods were lost. Yes, they can give them money, but livelihoods were lost. Mm. Uh, Livelihoods were lost, the environment suffered, you know, ecologically. So this goes to the heart of what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, the legislators in Washington will decide based on who's got their ear there. Mm. And I bet you it's not going to be the African, uh, the American Indians because mm. they don't have a powerful lobby group. Because mm. the question, that all I hear about is jobs, is what I hear about, that this pipeline is creating jobs. This pipeline is talking about energy sustainability. We're so blinded by that, I think, in my opinion, that we forget that water is not renewable.
1: Mm-hmm.
11: Water is not renewable. Water is life. And that's the that's case I made for the class that we are teaching. Mm-hmm. Water is life. It's supposed to be a basic human right. Mm-hmm. Yet we are putting it at risk of pollution by vested interest here. The reason that pipeline won't be rerouted is because somebody thinks it's going to cost them more. It's going to add more to the operating costs. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to reroute it for that simple reason. They could. There's no reason why engineers couldn't take it elsewhere. They can. I mean, what is it that engineering hasn't done? Mm-hmm. I'm sure they can, but they're thinking, why do I have to go through that extra? Why, why should I why should I add another sense to my operation costs?
1: Mm-hmm.
11: For some, you know, they're looking at, if they had to go through somebody who could challenge them, um, who had the money to challenge them, I'm sure they'd be talking a different case.
1: Mm-hmm.
11: But they had to choose a weaker, the, you know the question is it 's easier to go through um, through some uh, african uh, uh, American Indians mm. who they know are a, um, a weaker opening mm. I would assume that if if this land belonged to some big shots big shots uh, some i mean we could bring issues of risk. I doubt they would, we would even be hearing that they even even attempted to go through mm. there. Mm. I doubt they would try to go, say, through Ted, whatever his name is, in Montana, who has, um, those, uh, um, well, is it the CNN guy mm. who has some expansive mm-hmm. territory in Montana? Mm. I doubt he, had, he would allow a pipeline to go through his land. Mm. But yet this... American Indian Reservation was chosen why couldn 't they choose somebody else 's land mm. and I think this is what the American Indians are saying. Mm. This goes back to the point of environments of the poor it 's often the poor that are chosen because they don 't have anybody fighting for their interest in congress mm. it 's the poor who pay the ecological cost, they pay for the ecological cost because they're powerful. It's about power dynamics, really. Mm. And I'm sure, like I say, the reason they want to reroute or they don't want to reroute is it's all about operating costs.
6: Mm.
11: Why can't they reroute it? I'm sure there's other options.
6: Mm.
11: Yeah.
6: Um, And speaking of power dynamics, we were just talking before. You were talking about um, the international climate policy regime Mm -hmm. and how power dynamics are at play there it's very (laughs) apparent Um, can you talk some I know that's not your specific field but can you talk on that some and what the fight for climate justice looks like Um, for countries that like you said are at the forefront of these issues
11: yeah, I think, yeah, and, and uh, again, and this is the biggest challenge and um, this is the biggest challenge is that um, if you're, you sort of hear that climate change, because, and, and, I'll, and I'll just broadly, this is a very broad, um, a broad view, um, the reason we are probably at the point we are, and when people say, that human actions over the last 200 or so years since the Industrial revolutions, if we really are looking at global warming and um, the the gases that uh, we've released into the atmosphere, if you think about which nations have actually contributed the most, this has been where the Western world, so Europe, in the U.S. Mm. and obviously lately China, um, you know the industrialized nations, so to speak. So they are the ones that have contributed the most to the uh, uh, to CO two and those other gases that have uh, uh, contributed to global to, to, to global warming. Yet they are the ones who are the most create all of these gridlocks. To to any legislation. Now, when we go to this climate change talks, which are really a show, Hmm. you know, because African countries can come in there united as they want, but they won't really influence policy. Hmm. Policy will be influenced by what the US Congress decides. And it's there, it's there, it's been there since the days of, you know, the, whether it was Bill Clinton's era, even before that, or uh, the Bush Bush era, or even Obama's era. Obama has tried to push the needle a little bit. But we, for those of us who at least who know what's going on, we know Congress really decides the direction of us. Mm. So Al Gore could have yapped, he wanted, and people might give Al Gore credit, but. Does nothing. It's all, it's all tied to the U.S. energy policy and to the U.S. interests. comes first.
1: Mm.
11: So climate change talks are really a show, sure, in my opinion, but, uh, because up until the point when the U.S. gets to the point where I mean, and, and this is sort of the irony of it is, at least in the U.S., you have legislation that helps, like the EPA. And I I point this out in my classes. I might be digressing from what you're asking here, but but sometimes it helps to try and understand the pollution that levels that you experience in New Delhi or Beijing that people have written about are so high. But also I'm familiar with that when I go back to Nairobi, where I'm from, uh, in Kenya. But I don't experience that in the US. So yes, on the one hand, You have, when when, when, um, environmentalists who actually care for a policy that will try and make change for everyone, speak up at these climate change talks.
1: Mm.
11: They're sort of, nobody's, I mean, the reason that nothing is done for the interest of everyone is the U.S. really shuts them down. Mm -hmm. So this is the part dynamics I'm talking about, Mm. that we really have to go according to what the U.S. wants. So the U.S. still holds hostage. And this is the U.S. Congress or whoever makes those laws, Or China wants. And so you ask yourself, what is it that African countries can do? And these are the power dynamics. Some of the sub-colonial our legacies themselves, or Europe wants. And then, and this is this, this is what I'm talking about, power dynamics. They could be national, they could be international. But when it comes to climate change talks, I think African countries sometimes find themselves powerless, mm. um, and they all shows really, in our opinion, mm. Mm. that at the end of the day, um, when, whenever, whenever decisions were supposed to be made in the interest of all humanity, it was uh, it was it's always hold, held hostage by whichever power has a voting. Um, um, what is it, a veto or something. Mm. And I think this is when people have, uh, you can tie this to whether we all are equal or not. Mm. So mm. that's a power dynamics that I'm talking about. Mm. And I think climate change mm. will be hostage to, for a long time, this uh, voting countries that really have that power to vote. Mm. the U.S. is one of us. I'm mm. not blaming it all on the U.S. Like I mentioned, China as well. Um, there's I think Russia or some of the European countries mm-hmm. but you always know that African countries that are some of them that who are affected because af- African countries are saying well you've already polluted we should also, in- we want to industrialize so you can't have a law because this is now the dynamics that are going on mm-hmm. India says well we can't, we can't subscribe to that because we also need to get to the level of this industrialization African countries are also saying that I don't know when they'll come to some compromise that is good for everyone, Mm -hmm. when everybody's vested interest is at play, Mm. but this is a power dynamics.
6: I asked Professor Ayuki what song would be fitting to play after his interview, and his recommendation was Concrete Jungle by Bob Marley, so here's Concrete Jungle.